we're always aiming for what's the best. The best is for this child to be raised in their home and to champion these parents. We're not coming in to say, we'll just take your kids. We're coming to champion these moms and these dads to be able to raise these kids that they were given. Hi, welcome to Wild and Beautiful. We're Joanna Hyatt and Lauren Enriquez, your co-hosts who every week are helping you live out your faith in a way that's biblically rooted, but culturally relevant. Okay, you know that I have such great taste in music and I didn't okay. even finish, I didn't even finish my <laughs> sentence before you, you got through. Um, so, you know, because of my excellent taste in music, I was trying to give my children a cultured, you know, rounded appreciation. And so we're driving in the car and a musical classic came on, really just oh, like no. an inspired piece. What do you Maybe consider to be a classic? I Want It That Way by Backstreet Boys. Oh my gosh. I cannot with you. This is you dying now. Lauren Lauren is immediately making me a playlist. But it was so perfect because my youngest currently just says, I want it. I want mm-hmm. it. And mm-hmm. so that song came on and you could you could just see this moment of like, wait, there's an entire song dedicated yes. to what I say every day. So they kind of started singing it. And I felt like in some ways I took what is a negative, I want it all the time. And turned Mm -hmm. it into a positive that I gave them a little bit of boy band appreciation. Okay. So the, what I'm hearing is the only thing that, that the Backstreet Boys are good for is making parents be able to get through the toddler phase a little bit easier. So I'll give them that. Basically, they just put toddler tantrums to lyrics and notes. It was great. It was great. Okay. Okay. No, I don't actually think they're like Bye, bye, bye. That's another one. Babies love that word. I mean, oops, I did it again. No, that's NSYNC. Okay. Oops, I did it again is like my children in the sense of like, oops, I did it again. I dropped something, but you can't play that song for them because that's wildly inappropriate. Yeah, we have a coach at CrossFit that really loves to play Britney and I make my opinions known. But for that reason, I now know a lot of Britney songs that I never knew growing up, growing up. I just was never into that. And do you feel like there was this great void in your life that has now been filled? No. No, no I feel like there was something. I had dodged a bullet, and now it has come and, and <laughs> shot me in the chest. Uh, but meanwhile, you listen to like, I feel like you listen to like really angry Good music. music. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, good music. Not I mean, what's music. the point of music if it's not to get your emotions out that you can't express in normal parlance? Parlance. My husband actually has great taste in music and he has mm-hmm. elevated Can my appreciation. So I will yeah. say that. But I just thought of you. I was like, Lauren would have loved this moment in the car, Backstreet Boys on. Mm, this would have really just solidified our friendship. You know we're friends if I would put up with that in the car with you. It is funny to think how many of those kind of 90s songs are really actually just toddler tantrums put to music. Yeah. Yeah. It, now that you're now that we're going through the list, it's true. Yeah, we had a revelation. There you go. You're welcome, guys. Yeah, take that. You'll never listen to to Backstreet Boys and sing <laughs> 98 degrees in the rest of them the same way. Uh, so we are talking about kids today, mm-hmm. and and we're not talking about abortion except we're going to start with abortion, <laughs> <laughs> of course. And it'll probably come up a few more times. 
<laughs> Guys, this isn't a podcast on abortion. It's just a podcast about being culturally the only relevant. I agreed to do it. And, and radically, you know, biblical in this world. And turns out right now, and kind of for all time, it's um, holding a very consistent pro-life ethic. That's how you are culturally relevant and also a little bit wild. A little bit wild. Yes, a little bit. Okay, you want to you wanna kick it off on how we're going from abortion into today's topic? Yeah, sure. So as you guys know, and as we unabashedly celebrated when it happened, Roe v. Wade was reversed recently, and the Dobbs decision was handed down, Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health, and the entire pro-abortion cohort lost its collective mind and has been coming up with a lot of reasons why overturning Dobbs is the end of the world. One, they are telling women that their ectopic pregnancies and miscarriages won't be treated, and all these women are going to die of medical complications, which is false. Um, but another thing that oh, they're Oh, wait, hold claiming, on. On that one, I just mm-hmm. want to point out for everybody, I'm just so glad to see the abortion industry suddenly concerned about mm-hmm. ectopic pregnancy because what our listeners may not know is that uh, during COVID, the abortion industry, led by Planned Parenthood, pushed for the FDA to get rid of the in-person requirement for the abortion pill. The purpose of the in-person requirement is to check if a woman has an ectopic pregnancy before you just administer the pill and send her on her way. So Mm -hmm. they don't, they don't really care. They don't really care. But um, it's, it's cute that they suddenly pretend to care. No, the irony is that so much projection happens on their side. They were willing to sacrifice women to ectopic pregnancy Mm -hmm. in order to expand abortion. And now they are claiming falsely that it's pro-lifers who want to sacrifice women experiencing ectopic pregnancy. Just false. Um, But speaking of that, another thing they've been lying about is foster care. Mm-hmm. It's it's so interesting to see that the abortion industry is suddenly just so concerned with women's medical complications, children in foster care, all these things that they have not spoken a peep about, despite the fact that um, abortion was only 3% of what Planned Parenthood did, supposedly. Where, where the other 97% is, nobody quite knows. Well, and why um, are they all closing if it was only 3%? Yep. Mm, Great anyway. question. Great question. Uh, we could. We should do a whole show on the myths. We're not talking about abortion around. today. We're talking but about other things. <laughs> foster care. Foster care is a big one, and this is rooted in a. I would say, and I'll say it. I know there would be backlash from some of my nicer friends, but um, this concern for children is not genuine. Uh, they are trying to use foster care um, and de- fear mongering about things about foster care that aren't even true to defend abortion. And so, the purpose of today's episode, um, it's the news hook for the episode. The reason why this is a super relevant conversation is because of the Dobbs decision. But foster care is a really relevant conversation to Christians in general all the time, 365 days a year, uh, as is adoption. But as we will go through today, those are two distinct things that sometimes overlap. Um, And it's a conversation that just fit right in with the kind of things that we like to cover on our podcast. Yes. Uh, Because we're also seeing people who are Christian um, but are very quiet when it comes to abortion, suddenly be very vocal and be like, well, I just hope all of you pro-lifers and Christians will now suddenly engage with the foster care system. Like, well, um, a, a lot of people are actually. So if you want to join us and, and for those who are engaged in the foster care system and yet are quiet on abortion, um, you know, I'll be honest, I have some of those people in my life and it always is a little striking to me um, as though shouldn't we fight abortion and also support 
foster care? Like, why do we have to be silent on one mm-hmm. if we're going to be in, involved in the other? They they actually all go hand in hand. Um, mm-hmm. But what we see a lot of times in these conversations about foster care is it's it's treating foster care as any number of things. One, you know, the excuse from those who are pro-abortion uh, is that, well, now either children are going to be doomed to a life of misery in foster care. These mm-hmm. moms who are not prepared uh, economically, mentally, physically to care for their children, those kids are automatically going to go to foster care. Well, the implication there is those children would have been better off dead, I guess. Uh, right. So so there's that. Like, well, they're doomed to a life of misery as though uh, all foster care experiences are miserable. But then also there's using kids who do have really horrible experiences in foster care, because we do hear of those, as an excuse to end the life of other children. And, you know, if you if you kind of poke around online, you see kids who have been in the foster care system speaking up and saying, please don't use what has been a horrible experience to somehow be an excuse to kill children before they ever have a chance at life. And then treating foster care as though it's one giant pipeline for adoption. Mm-hmm. Also false. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it— you, you have to wonder, I know there are some people who are probably lying about these things and they know what's true and they're just saying the opposite to advance their narrative. But then there's a whole group of people that are just going along with this pro-abortion narrative about foster care um, that haven't actually looked into the facts and it reveals that they don't actually care. So that's why it's important for us to actually say, okay, here is how foster care works. Here's what's possible and what's not possible with foster care. And here's the um, the pro-life side of foster care, because it really is a pro-life, um, it, it really can be a pro-life undertaking. So let's take those objections real quick. Are all children in foster care doomed to an entire life of misery? Well, I mean, there's just so many anecdotes of people who disprove this with their life. Mm-hmm. And they're on Twitter mm-hmm. right now saying, stop using my story to justify abortion on demand. We have to always counter this argument by asking people why they would rather eliminate the sufferer than the suffering that they are experiencing. Mm-hmm. Because eliminating a child who may end up in foster care and who may suffer is very different from taking the time to step into that person's circumstances and say, how can I help in this situation? Um, vastly different. I mean, it's night and day. Um and I have one friend, she goes by She Brings Joy on social media. I highly recommend you follow her, who has made it part of her mission to say, to talk about her story. She was abused. She did spend time in foster care. She has lost a child um, through a fetal anomaly. She's experienced a lot of the things that abortion advocates use to say, this is why we need to kill children instead of allowing them to come into the world and experience suffering. And what she often will point out is we are all going to suffer. That's a fact of life. Um, But it's really dark to use somebody's suffering to justify killing. Um, So just look for those anecdotes that are going around right now and share them because I think they're a powerful um, antidote to this claim that we need abortion because foster care exists. It's also a reminder for those of us, again, who are people of faith, you know, what's lacking in the world is an understanding of what to do with suffering. Because if life is just about the days that you live on this earth, then suffering has no purpose. Suffering is meaningless. Suffering is to be avoided at all costs. And and I'll say, at least I think in the, in the Protestant side of things, we don't have a great theology on suffering. 
We don't do well uh, teaching our people what suffering looks like, which is why I think you still see, uh, you know, people who are in a lot of ways living lives that mirror the the world, uh, because it's a it's a run to escape suffering, and we think, well, if I just follow Jesus, my life will be great. Actually, no. If you follow Jesus, your life, you know, looking at the Bible is probably going <laughs> to might get worse, might get more difficult. Well, he said, he said. He said, follow me, but he said something before that. He said, take Pick up, up your, your cross, cross <laughs> and follow me. He did, you have to, you have to he read also the whole said, sentence. He also said, uh, you know, whatever they did to me, they will do to you. I'm like, well, they mm-hmm. took him all the way to the cross. So, like, we have to be honest when we invite people into this that it may cost you everything on this side, but there is a purpose to our suffering. There is a purpose to struggle. Um, and it, it's such an opportunity also to watch God's redemption and, and to see the power of the gospel to transform, to do what it says in Joel, to give back what the locusts have stolen. And so we we need to be mindful of that, that even though there is something that is broken um, and we are always seeking to redeem it, God God has purpose even in that suffering, and He can bring something really beautiful out of it because nobody's story is finished until God says it's done. And so when we preemptively end a story, we miss out on, on all that that life could have brought into this world. I mean, like you point out, there's a gal I follow, her name escapes me, but she was raised in the foster care system and she was abused. And then she was adopted beautifully. And she has gone on to adopt uh, two kids that she ended up fostering as well. And so, you know, had her story been ended, if you'd known at one chunk the suffering, uh, then you might've said, then this story should never complete. And yet you can't base a whole life on windows of it. Any one of us, Mm -hmm. uh, a sliver of our life uh, could look pretty terrible. And so by saying, well, these kids are going to have a terrible life because they're put into the system, it discounts before these kids Mm -hmm. ever have a chance of of living out the story that that God can be writing and redeeming for them. and it, it's also telling kids who are currently in the foster care system that, well, your story, like you're there, like too bad. It can never get mm-hmm. better. It can never be exactly. improved. You can never rise above it, which we also see happening with a lot of the critical race things happening in class. Like, oh, you're just part of this group. Like, sorry, like this mm-hmm. is your future. This is your destiny. Yeah. There's no opportunity for you. And so it's, it's demeaning and it's demoralizing um, to those kids who are hearing it because don't you think teenagers who are in the foster care system have phones have access to what's happening mm-hmm. online, and they're seeing these narratives fly around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it becomes their identity. I'm a foster kid. Mm-hmm. Who, what, what else are you? You're a child of God. You're a person with interests. You're somebody who has a family background, and and that's what brought you into foster care in the first place is something went awry in that family background that was not your fault. But how many of those kids are probably carrying around um, – guilt for whatever happened in their family. These are these are children that will experience levels of suffering in many cases that many of us would find unfathomable, but it's not our place to say that that makes their life le- worth less. Mm-hmm. Uh, in many cases, mm-hmm. I think maybe the lessons that they can teach the rest of us from their suffering, and so many of them have risen up out of those situations and done incredible things with their lives, that speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So that second one we talked about, it's like all the kids in foster care need to be adopted because that's flung back. You'll hear that, right? Mm-hmm. Well, are you going to adopt all the kids? Well, all right. of them aren't needing to be adopted, right? right? So there's, there's, which ties into the second one of, well, mm-hmm. foster care is just one giant 
adoption pipeline. Actually, Mm -hmm. the goal of foster care is reunification. The goal Mm -hmm. of anybody who gets involved is, should not be, I mean, I, I, can't say what it is, but it should not be. I'm getting into this to adopt kids, uh, you know, on the cheap because the state mm-hmm. will pay for it. Like that it cannot be your heart. Your heart is to say, we want to help these families come back together. We want to help these moms and these dads get into a place where they are healthy and stable. And this is a good home. And these children are back with them because children being raised by their biological mother and biological father is the best. That's mm-hmm. that's the That's the gold standard. Now, God has designed other ways in our society, and we as people have figured out ways to um, step into the places when that breaks down, mm-hmm. but, but we're always aiming for what's the best. The best is for this child to be raised in their home and to champion these parents. We're not coming in to say, we'll just take your kids. We're coming to champion these moms and these dads to be able to raise these kids that they were given. Because a lot mm-hmm. of them came from homes where they were not loved well and they did not have a good example. And it's an opportunity to love them as adults as well. Yeah, and it, it's hard to it's hard for our world to understand how foster care is supposed to work if mm-hmm. we don't first understand that the that families should be oriented around their children and that cultures should be oriented around their children. This is something we talk about a lot on our show is that we as parents need to be child focused and not adult focused um, mm-hmm. in everything in our society. And I think we lose sight of what the purpose of foster care is when we lose sight of that child focus that we're supposed to have. And, and Joe was saying the purpose of foster care is reunification with the biological family, the family of origin. And in some cases, that isn't possible, and those children will need adoptive families. But in about three out of four cases, the child is not even eligible to be adopted because the child is still in the pipeline, so to speak, of being reunified with the family. And that looks like there is a whole process for trying to reunify a child with a family. Um, there are it's it's hard to find exact numbers, but there are probably more than four hundred thousand children in the foster care system and roughly one in four of them is available to be adopted Mm. and oftentimes so sometimes a child will enter foster care at birth and will be eligible for adoption very shortly after that because for whatever reason this is not a mother who will be able to parent um so there are dozens of couples that would love to adopt every single newborn that's born in the United States. Um, Placing newborns is really not the challenge for the foster care system when it comes to the children who do need to be adopted. It's placing the children who are older. I think the average age of a child who is adopted from foster care is about seven, if I remember correctly from reading about this. And so placing children who often have emotional baggage, sometimes histories of abuse, who may have been through a lot of foster homes and so they have struggles with attachment they have they struggle to bond with families um families who are looking to adopt when again it goes back to this child focus they have to be focused on helping this child thrive and flourish mm-hmm. and find their roots find stability this can't be a goal of um viewing children in a, in a commodified way, as we often do, yep. as we see in the fertility industry and some of the adoption industry, where the child is, you know, it's something that you're checking off on your bucket list or it's an accessory. Um, this is this is parents 
that have dedicated their lives and their families to focusing and orienting toward a child who needs their intervention. Um, And that, again, is why oftentimes it is Christians who are stepping up to be foster parents, not only foster parents, but also adopt from foster care. So just understanding these facts about foster care and adoption from foster care, it really dispels and, and just by itself debunks a lot of the myths that are going around about foster care. I like the way Jamie Finn, she goes on as Foster the Family blog, um, and we'll link it. She's on Instagram, and she just has such a great spirit about how she speaks on foster care and helping people understand when you foster kids, um, you are going to experience both joy and heartache, and those two can coexist, that you can be heartbroken that this child that you have spent months with is going home and also feel such joy that this child who you have poured into is getting to go home. And that, you know, th- those don't have to be separate. Um, and we don't have to think like, well, if I feel the one, then the other can't be there. She also just says so beautifully, she had this post where she talked about, you know, let's stop saying foster to adopt because mm-hmm. she said, how is it possible to be wholeheartedly fighting for and praying for and supporting the healing of a family if you're actually really hoping for the family to fail so that child can be yours forever? And that's such a that's just such a perspective shift. You know, mm-hmm. she's, she's not knocking adoption. She has adopted three children from foster care. And I've had friends who they their intent was just, we're going to foster these kids and fight for reunification. And it didn't work out. It didn't work out. And, and now they're that safe place forever for those children. Um, but if you come into it with this idea of like, well, all kids have to be adopted, uh, you you shove out the parents who are there and you will miss the needs of the child right in front of you mm-hmm. as as well. So I think that's a huge one. Um, and one to gently push back when people say, we're well, going to adopt all the kids. Well, that's actually not the goal. And, you know, if, if a child at some point has been waiting for years and needs a home, then yes, Christians do step up. I mean, I think you were telling me that the highest number— of people stepping up to adopt kids who are close to aging out are mm-hmm. Christians. Yep. Yeah, I, I can read a few bullet points here because I do think that this is important information for us to have when we're being attacked with these claims that we want all these babies to be born, but we don't care about them after mm-hmm. they're born and we don't care if they languish in foster care. Nothing could be further from the truth. The Christian Alliance for Orphans, um, CAFO, did this, or they cite Barner Research, which found that practicing Christians are more than twice as likely to adopt as the general population. These findings also showed that practicing Christians were more likely to adopt older children, children with special needs, and other children considered, quote-unquote, hard to place. I know an incredible family who adopted nine children with special needs out of the foster care system, and at least one of them passed away in their care because he had a terminal illness. Um, They raised these children who are, quote-unquote, hard to place, and they have had to fight judges in the past. They had to fight a judge because one of the, the girls that they adopted, she had such serious issues from trauma in her past that she would bang her head against the wall and she would fight her caregivers. And the judge just said, no, you don't know what you're getting yourself into. You don't want to adopt this girl. Leave her in foster care. And they had to fight tooth and nail to bring that little girl into their family and give, give her the loving home that she deserved all along. And it was their faith that made them, that compelled them 
to take this on because they do not lead an easy life. They are around-the-clock caregivers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to a bunch of children with special needs. It's a special calling. Anyway, sidetrack. <laughs> side Love it. There's two more points here that are important. Practicing Christians were also nearly three times more likely to have seriously considered foster care, so not just the adoption side of it, but the fostering. So it's not surprising that Pew Research found that 65% of non-kin foster parents, so not it's not an aunt or a grandmother or something, attend religious services weekly, compared to 39% for the general population. And finally, and this is a, this is a really interesting one that I would personally love to learn more about, but it says, when actively recruited and organized and supported, this service can have a profound impact not just on individual children, but system-wide. And they give mm. the example of Arkansas. This is incredible. In Arkansas, more than 40% of foster homes are recruited by a single faith-based group called the Call of Arkansas. So one faith-based group fosters more than 40% of the children in the entire state of Arkansas. So they're just saying, Christians, you know, look what you can do when you step up. What if there were two groups in Arkansas like this? They'd cover almost 100% of the state. And it's true. It's Christians that are stepping up because we are compelled by everything that Mm -hmm. our faith teaches to defend the vulnerable, to stand in the gap for those who are in need. Um, It's a really beautiful thing to see, but it's something that we don't seem to talk about as a culture. We don't know how to push back when these accusations are lobbed at us. So I'm actually going to put all of these bullet points in the show notes or at least link to the site where you can find them, what I just read verbatim, in case you need to share this information with others. And I think that leads into like, okay, so what do we do? Because I think sometimes why people don't push back is because maybe you feel like, well, I'm not fostering. I'm not mm-hmm. actively looking um, to do that. I'm not pursuing that. So I have no space to say anything. I have no way uh, to push back and to speak. And, you know, that's, first of all, not true. Um, mm-hmm. You do not have to do everything in order to have uh, legitimacy to speak on it. Yeah, But also, listen to that a little bit and say, okay, I or we or our family is not in a place where we can... Um, in, invest right now in the way that that child would need to, to bring a child into our home, how else might we be supportive of children and families who are in the foster system, who are supporting? If God calls somebody else in your church to become foster parents, like, there are actually lots of ways that you can still come around them in order to make that experience positive for those kids that will come in, in order to make reunification more likely uh, in, in order for it to just be the experience where that family is able to foster again and again and again. So for instance, you know, one um, one group is called Project 127, and we have a local chapter here in Spokane. Uh, but here's an out-of-the-box way. You can basically pair up and kind of take on a social worker. So fun stat we just learned uh, recently. If a kid has the same social worker through their whole time in foster care, they have a 75% chance at reunification. That's awesome. If that number goes up to even two, if they have just two social workers, that chance of reunification drops to 17% because they have one more person in their life instead of that one consistency. On the flip side, 
social workers burn out pretty mm-hmm. quickly. I mean, it is very consuming. If you know that that kid gets placed with a new family, um, they still have to be at school. And if that family is like, I'm sorry, that school's on the other side of town, it's the social worker's job to get them to school. The mm-hmm. social worker doesn't have like nine to five hours. They are kind of all in all the time, right? They're helping these kids move from one house to the next. They're dealing with the issues. They're advocating for them. So what Project 127 does locally, and I think there's, it's maybe based out of Colorado, you take on, you sponsor a social worker basically, and you you commit to pray for them, and you commit to write them notes, and you commit to maybe meet them for coffee, and you encourage and support them. You do that, and you'll change the trajectory of all the kids on their caseload. Mm. I think some of us could do that, right? I think people who are later in life and say, "Man, I've got a lot of time on my hands." You can write notes. You can pray for people. You can engage. Um, you know, another great organization is Safe Families. So Safe Families is actually filling the gap between when a child or a family is in crisis and that child or children end up going into the foster care system. Mm-hmm. I, I love the way they put it on their website. They say Safe Families for Children is a family preservation movement motivated by radical hospitality, disruptive generosity, and intentional compassion to keep children safe and families together. And so they they mobilize volunteers in church who say, yes, we will um, advocate for these vulnerable families and children. We will step in the gap to help families uh, who maybe just need just a little extra care uh, in the hopes that maybe their kids don't have to get put into the foster care system and it becomes this whole process of reunification. A lot of families just don't have community. I mean, think about how often you know, we lean on people around us to help us out. And if you are a single mom and you don't have that consistently, or you're you're a family who's struggling, just having somebody there who says, hey, we'll take the kids for a weekend for a couple of weeks while you get on your feet or whatever it is uh, can make all the difference. And if you have somebody in your church that does foster care, bring them a meal. It's all the things we would do for a new baby, right? Like those are also things that have to happen. You need to help them supply all the stuff for their closets and bring them a meal and and help them go out on a date night or things like that. Like you don't have to necessarily take a kid into your home to still be engaged and supporting families in foster care. Hmm. I love that. It would be great to just adopt somebody and pray for them, even if you don't know their name. Lord, I'm I want to adopt a seven-year-old girl from foster care and just pray for her every night. I mean, how beautiful is that? So for that, there's there's actually a cool website called One Simple Wish, and you can donate to fulfill a foster kid's wish or needs. And mm-hmm. it'll tell you, like, Jaden needs a new computer um, to start college, oh, right? Mm-hmm. And you can, get, and then you can write a note. And then you have a name. And now you can pray mm-hmm. for that kid. You may never talk to them again, but you yeah. can meet a tangible need that this kid in foster care has to know that they are loved, to know that they are cared for, to know that there are people championing them and and supporting them and backing them as they journey in life, wherever that journey takes them. Mm. That is a good segue to the one group that I would like to promote, and that's the Dave Thomas Foundation. And I did vet this organization a a long time ago when I was writing about them for a pro-life website. And to my knowledge, they don't support anything that we don't like, (laughs) like abortion. Um, But why I love the Dave Thomas Foundation is focused on helping to ensure that no child leaves ages out of the foster care Mm. system and doesn't this, it really broke my heart because I had never thought about it before learning about the Dave Thomas foundation, but children turn 18 
and they don't have a place to go for for Christmas, a place to call home on their birthday. You know, I just can't imagine going through life and not having a family to call my own. For whatever reason, the reunification didn't work out and the child could never be placed for adoption. And again, that child focus is mm-hmm. it's the hallmark mm-hmm. of the Dave Thomas Foundation. This is the guy who started Wendy's, by the way, Dave Thomas. The hallmark of this organization is, is that they want to find families for the children in foster care, not the other way around. So they're not meeting with the families and saying, okay, what kind of kid do you want? How old do you want them to be? They're profiling the children who need families and they're going out and recruiting who they think would be a good fit for that child. And I just love that. I think that that's the approach that we need to have to all of this foster care, adoption, all of it. Uh, So the Dave Thomas Foundation is another one we can link. That's great. Yeah. So with all of these things, we're not saying everybody takes on everything. We instead would say, okay, what are you called to do with this? You know, how are you called to live in a way um, that is biblically consistent and culturally relevant within your communities? You know, find out at your churches, hey, what do we have to support foster care in our church? Uh, You know, maybe you're one of those people, you're like, okay, I'm going to start something. I'm going to figure out how to start a safe families group, or I'm just going to make sure that we have meal trains for those families who are um, doing foster foster care in in their homes. Or you say, okay, well, what's my community doing? Reach out to pregnancy clinics. Reach out to Mm -hmm. places that you know uh, advocate for children, that you know care about children, and say, okay, how can I best come along and support in a way that is good for our family, that fits with our season in life, but also pushes us just a little bit uh, to be caring for those around us and and to be advocating. And, And don't ever feel <laughs> like just because people are screaming this stuff from from the social media platforms that suddenly you have to sign up for all these things because that's actually the wrong motivation mm-hmm. right if we get into this because we feel guilty or whatever we will fail these children um we will we will fail the kids who so desperately need someone to love them and and be caring for their needs and be dealing with their trauma and things like that and advocating for them in the courts and seeking reunification um but Foster care can be really beautiful too. And it can be Mm -hmm. a chance to see families made whole again. So we'll link to everything we talked about. And um, please, we'd love to hear from you, especially if you currently are are a foster parent. Yeah, or were a foster child. Or were a foster child. I I would love to hear that story. We want to keep this conversation going because in, in the months and years ahead, you know, women who are no longer able to access abortion, praise the Lord, in their state, Mm -hmm. um, their circumstances are still going to be such that they're going to find themselves still feeling like they're drowning or Mm -hmm. feeling like they are out of support or ill-equipped. And so there's still so many opportunities for us to step into the gap, to love them, to love their children, um, and to really be advocating for not just a pro-life, but a pro-family culture that champions children being raised by their mothers and their fathers. 